Hi, and welcome to RevOps Unboxed, the podcast that dives into the world of revenue operations brought to you by me, Sandy Robinson, in partnership with Revenue Operations Alliance. In each episode, we'll be unboxing the best practices, strategies, and real stories of revenue operations practitioners to help you optimize revenue operations, grow and scale your organization. On this episode of RevOps Unboxed, I speak with Marin Page, Senior Salesforce Business Analyst at Saliant Consulting. We will discuss the importance of zeroing in on a single source of truth and holistic end-to-end thinking. Let's get started. All right. I am here today. This is Sandy Robinson. I'm your host of RevOps Unboxed, and I'm here today with Marin Page. Uh, Marin is a Senior Salesforce Business Analyst at Saliant. Uh, we've worked together in the past, and I've, um, I'm really excited to have Marin today uh, on the podcast. So, uh, Marin, if you want to give an introduction and tell us a little bit about yourself, that'd be awesome. Hello, I'm Marin Page. I have been working in RevOps or um, sales ops or uh, advertising operations capacity for most of my career since about the uh, early, mid-2000s. Uh, currently, I'm a business analyst consultant at Saliant Consulting, as you said. Uh, I work primarily in uh, business systems automation and the uh, general kind of fitting together of different business systems as they relate to Salesforce. Yeah. Wow. That's, so, you, so you really make the magic happen, really. Uh, you really make it all work. I make a lot of magic happen, yes. <laughs> I work very closely with an excellent team, and we... Uh, We are doing our best to make magic happen every day for our clients. That's awesome. Well, tell me something uh, on a personal level, something fun. Maybe uh, people might not know about you in the business world. All right. Well, uh, I recently moved to Oregon uh, from as a lifelong Californian. Now I'm an Oregonian and I love it here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, And I'm a music ukulele player, uh, singer, and general uh, hobbyist adopter of crafting and creation things. And I got a great family, a couple of adorable kids. Oh, that's great. I can uh, definitely see a little bit for people who are listening and you can't see the video. Uh, Marin has some uh, pretty amazing uh, uh, tchotchkes in her background. Uh, it's pretty awesome. But the uke, the uke, we might have to have you whip out the uke. Uh, I can kind of see it there towards the end, maybe. <laughs> if we have time and I'm feeling, uh, I, I'm feeling amenable. We'll see. <laughs> uh, well, tell me, I, I, I like to start this off and just uh, tell me a little bit about how do you really get into uh, the ops world, rev ops, or, you know, I know it probably wasn't called that originally when you when you first got into it, but maybe maybe uh, tell everybody a little bit about how you, you entered this world. Yeah. Um, well, I, like many arts majors, decided that I would like to eat on a regular basis. So <laughs> rather than, uh, I didn't come to technology uh, naturally, I came by virtue of growing up in the Bay Area and surrounded by all the big tech firms that you've heard of, uh, Apple, Google, Yahoo, all of those. And uh, after I graduated college, um, I kind of floated from tech job to tech job until I found a gig at Yahoo as what they called at the time, an NDC, a media delivery coordinator. And what we did was make sure that banner ads 
appeared on the Yahoo website at the right time and targeted towards the right people and enough people saw them to make money. And it was a, you know, pretty low level entry level gig. But what I really enjoyed about it was the technological aspect of the systems we were working in and seeing how things work together and how processes could be improved uh, through, you know, figuring out how everything could fit together uh, technologically. And in subsequent roles, I moved forward in um, at, at a job at a place called uh, <laughs> uh, Shopzilla, which was a comparative <laughs> shopping engine website that I don't even think comparative shopping is a thing anymore on the web, but they did a similar thing of targeted banner ads that when you went shopped for TVs, you saw ads for TVs. Uh, and at that point, I started working in the Google ad serving ecosystem, which was far, far more interesting than the house built Yahoo one. And that took me into a few other roles until finally I ended up at Goodreads, which is a kind of book, social media platform for book lovers uh, that was acquired by Amazon. And through that, I got to work in Salesforce for the first time. And I found Salesforce just fascinating. (laughs) And Salesforce, of course, has its fabulous online self-guided training program called Trailhead, which I dove into headfirst to uh, to really figure out how everything worked together. And I decided that was what I wanted to do. So I took some time off from work. I dove straight into Salesforce and um, retrained and got my certification and then started working in that ecosystem almost immediately after. Uh, and I've been there ever since. I think I made that jump about five years ago now. Wow. Wow. That's a great story. It's interesting too, uh, when I talk to people, how many people started in some form of advertising that get into this, like in in all different forms. So it's, there's a lot of, um, you know, things I think that, you know, emerged out of a lot of that ad targeting and different things Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of went on there. So that's, that's a great, uh, a great experience. And it, you know, Kudos to you for going after something that you're super interested in too, and like um, diving into the complexity of all that. So uh, it sounds like you really like to solve problems. <laughs> yeah, that's a key aspect of of the whole business is is just what problem are we solving, and how can we solve it in the most efficient way to make everybody's jobs easier mm. and less tedium is my enemy. Right, right. It's so fun too when you go. And sometimes people have the idea of a solution, right? And Mm -hmm. it's like, what problem are you trying to solve exactly? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And convincing someone that maybe their solution could be more efficient or more, uh, uh, more effective up and down the line is is often one of the biggest aspects of the job. Most. (laughs) I hear that. I hear that for sure. So you know, if we think about it, uh, just moving on a little bit to our topic, you and I had talked about really owning in on a single source of truth. So what is that in an organization? I know organizations are challenged everywhere. Like what is the right number? Uh, do we have to have this financing? Do we you know, have four different customer numbers? So that single source of truth is always I think I can hear people cringing that are listening to this. So I think it's a great topic and I'd love to have you uh, dive into that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, It's one thing you'll see a lot when you're 
looking into Salesforce and the Salesforce ecosystem is having a system in this case, if it's Salesforce, a CRM that is a single source of truth and that if anything disagrees with that system or branches off of that system, that your single source of truth is what takes priority. Um, and, and it's more of, of a kind of a philosophical approach to how you integrate your different teams, your silos, your external systems is what is the one thing that everything talks to and everything goes through. So uh, for example, in a previous role, we were looking at integrating uh, an external uh marketing uh, automation program with Salesforce. We're also looking into integrating a, um, a platform to kind of build orders and build uh, uh, customer prospectuses and, and whatnot. And the, con the question was, can we have that platform to build the orders and talk to both the marketing system and the primary CRM, in this case with Salesforce, and exchange information with both of those. But we also needed that uh, marketing platform to integrate directly with Salesforce. Mm -hmm. And what the request was for was for a triangular integration where all the systems are sending information back and forth to each other in a, in a triangle. Mm -hmm. But what we needed was a V where Salesforce was the apex of the V and the other systems spoke to each other through Salesforce. That way your single source of truth, the whatever record was being updated primarily lived in Salesforce. Um, and nobody was changing the analogs for that record in the other systems without first talking to Salesforce. And that's how we kept that data pure and kept it from being uh, out of sync with each other. Because we were all using the same records. Right. And that's what's connecting it. And I think the way you describe that is really, it's really great for people who aren't an architect like yourself and, and don't really, I mean, I mean, like I get the system size a little bit, but like you're the expert. So I think being able to communicate that and just the way that you described it with the V versus a triangle, I think sometimes People think, oh, well, it's just so easy. We'll we'll integrate it to the CRM. We'll integrate it to Salesforce or to HubSpot. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whoa, 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 we have to take a step back and let's really let's really map this out. So, what kind of uh, steps do you take to do that when you are uh, working with clients on their tech? What, like, how do you approach that? Hmm. Um, well, one thing that I always start with is looking from the top down at kind of a holistic approach to all the systems involved. It's really easy to get mired down in the details of I'm integrating system A with system B, but there's also systems D through G, which are integrating with system A as well. And how does integrating with that new system affect all of those? How does that new system, integrating that new system um, affect the users of those other systems? How does that affect other teams that might be relying on data that could be altered without them expecting to see it be altered. So it's really important to kind of dive deep and talk to all the potential stakeholders that live around that single source of truth before you start integrating and changing data and um, 
getting getting creative with with how you you're integrating things together. Um, so that would be the first thing: requirements gathering and what are the risks that inherent in integrating this system and who's involved and who touches the data. So that would be the first thing. The second thing is to look at an MVP, a minimum viable product of what is the least amount of integration we can do to get started without going over the top and as a former manager of money say, trying to boil the ocean. Mm-hmm. Let's make a cup of tea first. Okay. Let's get the most essential items synced in the way that we want them synced so that we can take a pause look for any unintended consequences um, and then uh, evaluate our next steps. You know, it's so funny when you say that like most, a, a lot of people that are working to integrate their internal systems and whether it's a CRM with a marketing or, you know, a prospecting tool, whatever it is, a lot of these uh, folks that are doing that are actually selling software themselves and talking to clients about MVPs. And I just find it funny that it, we we think internally, well, we can just go run and, you know, this will be up and running in, you know, two weeks and there's no problems. We don't have to think about it. We just plop, plop, integrate it in. And, but, but yet when we're talking to customers, we really think about, okay, we have to do an MVP. We have to have a strategic plan. So, I think um, it's it's ironic sometimes where like internally you have to step back, which for you as a consultant is great because you can just tell them like, hey, you need to do this. Yeah. For people that are on the internal side, you have to you have to kind of go, well, how would you how would you talk to your client about this when you're selling them software? Like how how would they go about this? So I, I find that really interesting. But those are some some really great tips uh, just in terms of working with different stakeholders and identifying all those downstream potential impacts. Uh, do you have any uh, you know, suggestions or like any, any challenges that you've run into when you're, when you're trying to get that alignment internally? Uh, I, I mean, it's challenges every day with <laughs> communication, with um, teasing out the details of what is needed. Yeah, when you're working with especially not particularly tech savvy um, customers and you're trying to get your requirements from them, they also often don't think about what they're doing every day or how it relates to other departments or other aspects of the company's operations. They just think I do this thing and this other thing happens, and it's just it's like you know magic. It's it's natural. Um, Arthur C. Clarke, the science fiction author, said any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. And that is kind of the approach we I take when I'm talking to people who don't think like I do in terms of systems integration. They're not programmers. They're not, um, you know, they're, they're not operations people or, or, or tech people at all. They just want to do their jobs and they don't care how it gets done. But the side effect to that is they don't know what they're doing that's unique or unusual or outside of the box. And they might not necessarily know what they're already doing that is different or special from the basic implementation of whatever system they're using. So we have to call those like the unknown unknowns. They don't know what they don't know. And zeroing in on that is always the biggest challenge. 
Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, I I definitely just from my experience with you, you're you're definitely the person to do that in just terms of your strategic uh, thinking. Maybe you can tell us a little story about maybe a situation you've run into, a problem that you solved, uh, a good kind of RevOps story. Uh, Yeah, I was thinking about what what a good story would be. And I think the first one that I like talking about the most is when I started my first Salesforce job. Um, And it was uh, a company that had an 18 year old organization, a sales, an 18 year old Salesforce org. So this thing was possible. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's, it's, they've had, they had Salesforce, I guess from the beginning, Salesforce is about what, 20 years old. Wow. That's crazy. And it was crazy. And it was so old, but they'd never had a dedicated full-time admin. Hmm. They never had someone whose job it was to maintain this org. They had a few what we call accidental admins who have a base level of skills and they can make basic updates. And then in the past, they'd hired consultants to build out bigger things that um, they couldn't do on their own. So I go in there and it's, you know, it, it's like an episode of Hoarders. It's, it's just all this old stuff that nobody's touched, nobody's using, but it's hooked into other things. So I can't just chuck it. Um, and I have to navigate around all this existing stuff in order to execute my new requirements. The first job, the first task they gave me was to build what we call a, a price book for their products. Mm-hmm. And I had to circumvent a lot of existing automation that really wasn't being used and wasn't serving the business, but it was coded. And when something's coded into Salesforce, you can't um, just chuck it. It's It's there. You have to work around it. So I had to figure out what they wanted to do, circumvent the existing automation, mm. rebuild something new from scratch using flow and workflow rules. This was at the time when we were still using workflow rules and um, and uh, redesign the visual interface so that uh, the users wouldn't get confused and see all this old stuff that was still in there. I had to hide all that um, and keep it kind of a, a seamless user experience uh, without... Um, without breaking things. <laughs> and it's it like, this is my first real Salesforce job. And they're like, okay, can you get this done in a month, month and a half? I'm like, I'll give it a go. Let's, let's go. Let's do this. And yeah, I made a bunch of mistakes, nothing earth shattering. I didn't break anything permanently. Um, I learned a ton in a short amount of time and definitely fell in love with the concept of, uh, of automation uh, through through Salesforce, it's like it's like setting up cool little Rube Goldberg devices and just you know <laughs> setting them off and watching them click 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 and suddenly what used to take you know twenty clicks in five minutes takes two clicks in in a minute and a half right wow so it's very it's very gratifying yeah. um yeah. I, I just your hoarders reference is just <laughs> this is this is great but I mean. Wow, that sounds like you really, uh, you really were able to learn and jump in and le- learn by whoa, here you go, jump in the deep end type of thing. Exactly. Uh, it's what I love about this job, though, that every day is different, and there's always something new to learn. You, there's never, um, there's always a new system or a new uh, kind of mode of work that, or a new, uh, a new client in my case with a new challenge, and every day is 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 completely different from the previous. I love that. <laughs> that's, 
That's great. I mean, yeah, I mean, in, in what you said about new technologies by the day, there's, there's new ones and now there's AI and I, I've got a survey going on LinkedIn and I, it's, I think people are like reaching the 15 to 20 in terms of like a rev tech stack and the, all mm-hmm. of their tools that they have to figure out how to work together. Like as, yeah. as the organizations get larger and more mature, there's more and more tools that people want to get. So uh, definitely people need, we need people like you to tell us how to architect it because mm-hmm. uh, you don't want to end up in the duct tape and band-aids world, um, you know, at all, which. Uh, yeah. Is- and it's one thing I've, I've experienced a lot when it comes to these integrations is that oftentimes people jump in thinking that the new tool is going to solve their problem, but they haven't thought through what their end result would look like, what systems they want to put into place, what the overall process will look like once that system is integrated. They just sort of expect it to happen once the system is plugged in. And it and it never does. It never does. You have to know what your your end result is going to look like if you're going to integrate through a new system. And we run into this problem all the time. I know you've you've run into it with me, we've run into it together many times. Like, well, we don't know how we want it to look, but we know we want something like this. And the the, the integration partner is not going to set that up for you. They're not going to know exactly how your business needs to run. They're going to say, well, it's gone like this for us in the past. Um, have fun configuring it. Right, right. <laughs> well, it goes back to what, what you said about like, what problem are you trying to solve? And then mm-hmm. It, you need to have that, but then what, what's the process? Like, even if it's literally written on a napkin, mm-hmm. uh, you say, okay, this is what I'm trying to build. I, I want to build this and this is the end result. Yeah. And if you don't have that, you shouldn't be out buying tech, right. Uh, or hiring a consultant yet uh, until you have that figured out, right? Until or having your team say, "Hey, go go solve this," uh, when when you don't really know what the what ultimately the vision is. Now, I would imagine you you can help craft that, which is ultimately what what you did when we worked together, right? Mm-hmm. You you had this art of kind of helping people get there and say, like, okay, yeah. well, what are you trying to achieve? So you really you really played that role as well, but I think you were definitely going beyond the the scope of the job for sure and uh, getting, hurting all the cats, I think. Hurting the cats, yes. Uh, well, people get really excited about tools. They see you know, the demo, the sales reps are real good at demoing their tool to show you the new shiny best possible outcome. And, but they're not showing you anything that isn't, you know, perfectly positive and wonderful. So it looks like they, they'll say, hey, take this and it's going to solve all your problems. But you still got to have, as you say, that vision. Got to know what you want mm-hmm. before you even agree to buy something. Yes. Yeah. And mapping out what does the implementation look like? Mm-hmm. Just, just like in any, I think, software uh, sales, uh, some any SaaS sales, like what what does that look like? What are the deliverables? And really having that mutual alignment on that because you're right if if we don't communicate that and have that plan then your adoption you're going to have challenges with adoption and all of those things because it won't be set up well yeah um so like you know you 
you've got, we could probably talk for hours. You've got tons of experience. What's something you can, you know, really think about you leave with people uh, just in terms of tips, in terms of any sort of like things they can do and walk away with? Are you thinking of people who are really in it, uh, in the RevOps world that uh, might be listening? Starting off and what we just talked about, know your vision before you pick a solution. And then once you have your vision defined and you know what kind of solution you want, line up your requirements and get them executed. Make sure you have buy-in from your executive sponsors. Make sure you have the time allocated to getting the, the project implemented and that you're not going to be derailed by other priorities. Make sure that it's your in integration, which is a big business project like any other business project. A lot of folks seem to think that an integration is just you, you plug it in, you make a few adjustments and you're good to go. It doesn't work that way. You have to know your vision. You have to know your requirements. Once your integration is in, you have to have a training plan in place and processes built around that. And all of that should be treated like a real proper project. If you have a product manager, a project manager running an agile team and everybody knows their role, it's going to go through so much easier than if you have one or two overworked admins just trying to integrate this thing without a lot of support. Right. So, that, yeah. that is, that's so important. Uh, just really keeping aligned on that. And I, I like that you brought up the aspect of training too, and making sure that whether revenue operations and enablement are, are working in tandem, uh, it, it really needs to be part of it because it, that's, that's part of the actual using of the tools, um, everything from the source of truth that you talked earlier about uh, to the project plan, to the training. So mm -hmm. uh, these are some really great tips and uh, great conversation. I really appreciate you joining uh, today and sharing uh, sharing all your knowledge and wisdom and uh, with, with everybody. So uh, thanks so much and appreciate you joining. It was great talking to you, Sandy. It's great talking to your audience and I hope this stuff is helpful. Definitely. Well, that was a, an episode of RevOps Unboxed with Marin Page. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you soon.